How many times have you asked the question to yourself, maybe quietly, who am I? Why am I here? How many times do we present that question? It seems like, as a society, a lot. If you're looking for a Christmas gift, I think we have a, a, a Christmas idea up here. There's this thing called Ancestry.com, 23andMe, Geno20, Helix, Living DNA, and so forth. They continue to seek, we continue to seek the answers of who am I? Where am I from? Why am I on this earth? That's the question that we're answering on a daily basis for ourselves. And most of us ask the question to a man or a woman or a child, or even better, a group of people called Google. That's where we're seeking our answer. Instead of going to the person that created you, that made you, that knows you intimately inside and out, we ask Google instead of God. We've become a Google society. What did we do before Google? I have no idea. You remember the dial-up? Man, that was a long time. You would go do something for a half hour before you got connected. So today we, we think we struggle, but today we are living in a society of not God but Google. And we're wondering about who we are. And so instead of seeking God and asking God and knowing about who we are in him, what do we do is we ask Google and we get some sort of information. I had someone come up and go, oh, I got the ancestry stuff. And everything was 35% and a couple of 3%, right? That's a great answer, but that doesn't really tell you who you are. Who you are in Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, the identity. When we understand who we are, we start to have a better identity. A better identity in our life, in our marriage, in our church life, in our family, in our friendships. That's what God wants us to understand, who we are. So let's seek him. We're going through this sermon series called the incarnation. The incarnation means God became human. Now, psychology tells us there have been some really weird studies about can a baby uh, survive in this world not being touched? And they found out you can't, that it has a huge negative impact in human beings. God knew this long ago, so he sent a human into the world to touch our lives spiritually and physically. That's the essence of the incarnation. That's who Jesus is. We require a physical touch. God knows it. And the way that we experience that is through his Holy Spirit. So one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas is the birth of Jesus, the incarnation coming into reality, is a critical place for our history. This is where God sent someone into the world to touch us and to move us personally into that beautiful relationship with God to build our identity. Jesus came into the world for a couple of reasons. He experienced life like, like we did so that we can look to him as we walk through life going, he experienced similar, if not worse stuff than us. He came as an example on how to walk through life. And finally, he came as a sin offering. His life was a purchase. Uh, his life was a, a, an offering so that we can be made right and whole, a purchase price for our soul. This series is about Jesus becoming human. That's the incarnation, and that's what we're celebrating. In a couple of weeks, we're really close to Christmas, probably less than two weeks, we're going to celebrate baby Jesus. That critical moment is where Jesus became human. And from that point on, the world has changed, and it's changed our identity. Last week, Jeremy's message kind of concluded with, Jesus is Lord, live it out. 
Don't sing about it. Don't say it. But live out Jesus as Lord. And that's hard to do. Honestly, I was thinking about it all week. How do I live out Jesus as Lord? If I go into Coffee Bean or Starbucks, which I frequent quite often, I don't want to walk in and just go, Jesus is Lord. Because then they call the police and then I get arrested and then takes me 72 hours to get out of that place called Hillmont. That's where I usually end up nowadays. The point is this. How do we live out Jesus as Lord? How do I let my identity be comfortable in my skin with God so that my identity can be whole and right? Jesus came into the world to save us and to build us up. And that human being uh, sets us free from this world and from what the world offers. The world offers slavery to sin. Jesus came to die so that we can win our, and, and win and mean by victory in Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. So what I want to do is I want to stand up. You guys stand up with me. I guess I'm already standing. And I want to read from John chapter 1. And we're going to use this and we're going to lead into our memory verse. And we're going to use this to kind of get ready to understand my identity. Everybody say my identity. Today you need to understand your identity. And when you do that, your personal relationship with God will open up. And you will have a, 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 an impact that maybe will be transformational. Today, we're going to talk to that mature person for a little bit about your identity, who you are, and we want to build you up with some words from the Bible to help you understand it. Here's what Jesus says, and I'm just reading a few verses around our memory verse to help us kind of understand the context of what Jesus is saying. John writes, uh, he came into, this, uh, into the very world he created. Jesus came into the world as he was part of creation, what we call eternity past. But the world did not recognize him. He came, into, uh, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But all who believed him and accepted him gave the right to become children of God. Our identity is children of God. That's our right. It's your choice if you choose to live that out and experience that and make that part of your life. They are reborn. We talked about that during their salvation message a couple weeks ago. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So as, as, as John is writing, he's telling us what it looks like to become a child of God. Born again, born in the spirit, born in the spirit of truth. So that we can live a life for God and that would be our identity from the day that we accepted Jesus Christ. Verse 14 is our memory verse. It says, the word became flesh and he may and made his dwelling place among us. That is the incarnation. He came as human form so that you and I will have a, a beacon of light to focus on when we're in the darkness of life week in and week out. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And here what he came, here's what he came with. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. For you to understand who you are, you need to understand the grace of God and you need to live out the truth of God. And we see that through the word of God. So at this moment, for you to understand your identity, you need to say a little prayer. Lord, speak to me right now. So let's pray and ask God to speak. Father, speak to us right now. The Holy Spirit is here, present, and we ask right now that as we celebrate you, Lord, as we honor you, as we put you first right now at this moment, will you use this time together as a church to speak to us as a whole? And Father, will you bring salvation from that? Will you bring us a revelation 
And Lord, will you transform someone right here, right now, right before we are, our eyes. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So today we're going to talk about identity. And now every time I say my identity, I'm actually thinking of your and my identity. So I'm not just worried about myself. And the first part of the message is my identity has been radically changed because of this word, incar incarnation. Because of Jesus becoming human, my identity, your identity, has been radically transformed and changed. The greater the impact of Christ in your life, the greater the transformation and the greater, the greater uh, uh, identity that you will have with God and the more robust relationship you will have. When you have an encounter with God, you, have a, you become a different person. You have new things start to crop up and, and beautiful things start to crop up. Someone once said, don't try and get in touch with your feelings. Get in touch with the truth and your feelings will change. Too often we're trying to get in touch with our feelings. Well, how I feel today, I'm a little tired. I've drank too much coffee. I'm a little grouchy. And I've got a big day ahead of me. If that's my feeling, that's not necessarily my future. That's my feeling. I need to get in touch with my truth. And the truth is, at one point, no matter what I do today, God loves me, and he will love me again tomorrow. And one day, I will be sitting next to Christ at the right hand of God in the victory position, winning through Jesus Christ. I love golf claps. I'm a golfer. The truth is, the only way that we can understand victory in Christ and our identity in Christ is the word of God. Too often we try and think about it, pray about it, dwell upon it. But the only way that we really understand it is opening up the word and letting the word speak to us and minister to us and bring us a deeper revelation. And we're going to do that today through the book of Galatians in chapter 3. So we'll meet there in just a minute. But I want to talk about this book. The book of Galatians is a powerful book. It's all about Jesus. That's one of the reasons why churches love to preach through it because it's all about Jesus. It's been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. I don't know if you guys know what the Magna Carta is. Some of you guys that are history buffs. The Magna Carta is actually a written document that kind of helped the United States become free. It was this point of liberty. So it's the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Or we can call it the Declaration of Independence for Christianity. Jesus is pronounced here as greater than the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he says he is above the law. He is greater than the law, so that the more that we tap into Jesus, the better our life is, and the less the law becomes a burden around us. There's this concept of Bible study that we call inductive Bible study. And what we do is every time the word repeats, we highlight it and circle it. And over time, we see the frequency of what's being said. And in that frequency, we see a message. Here's the words in the six chapters in the book of Galatians. Uh, law is said 31 times. Flesh, 18 times. Spirit, 15 times. Faith, 21 times. Promise, 10 times. Bondage or related words to that, 11 times. And the cross, 6 times. And in essence, if we just look at this, here we can get a message from what Paul is trying to write on the overview of what the book of Galatians is. The law and flesh will be trumped by the spirit and faith in Christ. We will live out the promises. We will be, we will be set free from bondage because of the work on the cross. 
That's the message that the book of Galatians has for us. And that's why we call it this declaration of independence for Christianity. It helps us understand over and over that the law and the flesh, the human side of, of man, and the law is going to burden us. But Christ and his spirit and faith in Christ through the cross will free us from this bondage. And we will live out our life because of that in the promises of God. Paul, like you and I, benefited extremely through the incarnation. Someone like me came broken. When I showed up into church, my mom picked me up out of a jail cell and brought me in, and I was just emotionally and, and physically and, and, and uh, mentally broken. And I needed help. I needed a savior. Some of us don't have that same experience, and you don't understand that. The apostle Paul was just like that. He wasn't any of that. He was spiritually broken. He had a disconnect to what he thought God was. Some of us just come to church, and we have a non-idea of God, or we have a jaded idea of God. But really, it's just a disconnect. And here, Paul has this, what we call a, a, a bankruptcy spiritually. He had a job. He had a place to stay. In his community, he had power, prestige. He was intelligent, and he was zealous for his religion. He was becoming one of the great religion leaders. So it wasn't like he wasn't doing well when he met Christ. The truth is, he was on the fast track to be one of the top few leaders in the Sadducees and Pharisees to lead his, his religion. But the problem was... We see in his conversion in Acts chapter uh, 9, we see that he didn't know who God was. At one point, he says, who are you, God? And God replies, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. See, the, see, Paul's identity was on outward things. Today in Christianity, we've turned into this religious, religious zealot. We're focused on the outside instead of God saying, I want to focus on your inside, your identity, so that you can be someone different, not just to me, but when you're different to me, you then are different to the world. Paul focused on God's law. That Moses gave, God focused on pleasing man. Paul focused on pleasing man. And he focused on the outward appearance. Anybody ever seen an Orthodox Jew? They look very religious. They actually do a lot of religious things. They pray three times a day. They're reading scripture. They're quoting scripture. They're in this mindset of really making their life look like an offering to God. Which is great. The problem is, is Jesus says, well, what's well, there's something wrong with the inside. And that's the whole essence of Christianity. My identity needs to be on the inside, not the outside. So we go to Galatians chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, you can open it up. If not, it'll be on the screen. It's on an app. Uh, we want, it's in your notes. But we want to turn to Galatians chapter 3. And in this chapter, Paul writes, oh, you foolish Camerians or Ventura Countyans. Or Galatians, he starts in chapter 3. And he starts talking about the law and faith. And really at the end, the child of God. Paul explains to the people in uh, Galatia what it was like before Christ came into the world. Because he was a religious zealot. He knew what it was like to practice apart from God. And have this relationship or this faith that he thought was right before Jesus became part of his life. And he's trying to explain that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, it's at the end, and this is the section talking about the child of God. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under 
guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. That's the NLT. I want to read it in a more traditional sense so you can see it in another way, so maybe it'll make more sense. This is the ESV version. Verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Here's what's happening. Before Christ came, we were in what we call protective custody. We were kind of isolated and separate, and we didn't have this beautiful connection with God, and it didn't have this open to and fro with God. There was this distance between us until Christ came, and when Christ came, he opens up the floodgates, and it changes the way that we look at, at, at God. Verse 24 says it this. He goes, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that we have faith, that the way of, now that we, the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. In essence, he's saying this. Religiosity or this spirit of religion or this outward appearance of religion might look like you really have it all together with God, but it truly is false in, in the way that God sees it. Today in our Christian world, 2019, when we practice legalism, it looks like mature Christianity. And that's not what God wants. When we practice legal and the law, we're actually going against what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit want from us. And that's why Paul's writing, oh, you foolish Galatians. Oh, you foolish Cameroons. Oh, you foolish Californians. Why are you putting the yoke back upon you? Why are you so wanting to be locked back up? You are now free. And it seems like you're building this, this life wanting to be back in prison. Verse 26 says, For you are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. In essence, what he's saying is, you have now accepted Jesus, and when you were baptized, it was like redressing yourself, fresh, clean, and washed, ready to experience this new life, this new identity. And once you're baptized, once you've accepted him and baptized, you're now this different person. Baptism doesn't get you saved, but it's a great part of your faith. It's a great outward expression of your faith. And they're talking about baptism as being this beautiful representation of free in Christ. There are no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. We love this today. We all want to be one, man, woman, child, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. We are all one, bound together. And those who accept Jesus Christ have this beautiful freedom through him. And we experience that through the Holy Spirit. And now that you belong to Christ, Paul continues, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Back in Genesis 12, there was a promise, and that, when you accept Jesus Christ, is a promise that you get to live in, a child of God. That should be your identity. The way that I see my life is child of God, and then son, husband, father, and then way down the road, five or six is pastor. That's not my main focus. My main, fo my main focus is first him, and then my wife and my family, and then friends, and then pastoring comes somewhere in between. 
That's what God is trying to communicate to us, and that's what we need to understand. The Apostle Paul is astonished by how the church has turned completely away from what freed them, and they want to go back into jail. If you've ever been locked up, first service, there'd only been three people locked up. We had everybody raise their hand. I don't want to embarrass you guys, because this is second service. You slip in. There's probably a lot more that have been locked up, so we don't want to embarrass you. But if you've ever been locked up, it's not what you think. It's not that fun. You don't ever want to go back. I've never once woke up and go, oh, sorry. I've never once woke up and said, yeah, Liz, I think I want to go back for a couple of weeks or a month or two. She's probably wanted me to get away for a couple of weeks or months or two, but I've never really woke up saying, it would sure be better to be locked up in a place where somebody tells me when to go to the bathroom, when to eat, when to sleep, what to do. And that's what the Apostle Paul is challenging the church. He's like, why has the church switched back to this place where they want to be tangled up in these religious laws? He's, he doesn't understand it. He's like, I've given you freedom, and, and you have a position of liberty. That should be your identity, but you're going back to this place of slavery. Identity in Christ or slavery to the law. There's tension here. There's tension in the gospel because today the way that we feel like we are good Christians is not by serving and giving and, and devoting and worshiping God. It's really by being a legalistic person. It's like, well, I read my Bible and I tithe and, and, and I do certain things and in that my relationship with God is right. The truth is, and I'm saying this not because I don't want you to serve, but God doesn't care about you serving. God doesn't care about you giving. God cares about your heart. He cares about your position in life with him. He cares that you care about him more than you care about anything else. He cares that you have a beautiful identity in him. And he doesn't care how much you tithe or how little you tithe. He doesn't care if you're serving in children's rock or if you're setting up the church or tearing down. Though we knew people to help tear down today. cares about you don't let the law hold you back from having an identity in christ that's the essence of this Does that make sense paul's identity was radically changed because of this word the incarnation have you been radically changed a couple weeks ago we had these uh, girls up here these student leaders and one was god and one was man and god and man were together and then they were separated and then jesus came in and saved the day and that was to be a place of celebration if you've been saved in jesus christ you should be excited and worshiping going i am saved it's been 40 years but i'm saved in god because he has changed me and he is my identity but too often we kind of forget what it was like. Too often we miss the essence of what salvation means. Does anybody like It's a Wonderful Life? Wow, I like Jimmy. Uh, I don't like it necessarily. I've watched it so many times. It loops in my parents' house over and over. Great movie. But what would it be like if that was your Christianity and it was taken away for a brief moment in time? How would it feel like for you not to have that connection with God? What would that feel like? What would that be like? How would that, trans, trans, how would that transition in your daily life? We've, we forgot what it was like apart from God. It's been so long for some of us 
that we don't realize what it would be like. But wouldn't it be great we could take a pill and because and, uh, pharmaceuticals can do anything. The rumor has it. And you lose your relationship with God for a brief moment so that you can feel, man, I want that back so much. And you're running around like Jimmy Stewart going, hey, where's God? Where's God? Where is he in this life? And finally, you hit your head again, and you wake up, and you've got him, and you're like, oh, thank you, God. What a nightmare. I was apart from you for a brief moment. Well, that's what eternity's like without God. We should focus a lot more on that in life as we have that opportunity to grow our identity in God. Chapter 4, we're just going from the end of 3 now into 4. It says, think of it this way. Paul is continually challenging us. He's like, this is what it was like. Think of it this way. He's trying to explain to the church what it was like with the law as his leader and Christ as his leader. He's bringing these tensions between these two things, faith and law. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not better, much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They had to obey their guardians until they reached whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was before, uh, with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were like slaves to this basic spiritual principles of this world. We have to wait, and that's what he's using, another analogy to help us understand what it was like with the law leading our lives and what it's like with Christ leading our life and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says there's basic spiritual laws out there, and Christians need to understand the spiritual laws that are out there. We can't really see them. We know they're there because the gospel tells them that they're there. But Christianity, as I walk out of here, I have all these invisible laws that are going through my head. And as I'm driving out of the parking lot, I'm not flipping everybody off trying to get to the topper's line first. I'm going to go, go ahead, please go before me. Because those are the spiritual laws. God says love others. Love your enemies. Love your neighbors. Do all these things as a spiritual work in your life. And your life will become better because you're going to become more like Christ. Leading people by the way that you live. How often, I've done this before recently. I've rushed into church and I do a little bit of a crazy maneuver on Las Postas. And then they follow me right into church. Right? I think it was my parents, actually, because they were behind me. But it was kind of embarrassing that you get to church and you're like, wow, that was a pretty Christian-like behavior. Christianity has a bunch of spiritual laws. They're invisible because they're dr driven by the Holy Spirit. And the way that we see them and feel them is by opening up his word and read. And that's what Paul's trying to talk about. The law versus the spiritual faith work of Jesus Christ to build our identity. The law in the world has me feeling rejected versus accepted. The, the world wants me to feel rejected. The enemy wants me to feel rejected. The, the spiritual faith in Christ wants me to feel accepted and belonged and whole. Bondage versus redemption. The world wants me to be bound up in all these legal things that the Bible says I have to do. And the truth is, Christ says, I want you to be redeemed and I want you to feel freedom, but I want you to know that not everything's acceptable. You're going to have to figure out that in your own personal walk and through people surrounding you. Under the law instead of covered by grace. Do you want to be yoked by the law or do you want to be part of the grace of God? We all say grace, but a lot of times then we point our finger to the other person and say law. Grace, and I'm pointing out law to you. 
And finally, the last one, feeling orphaned instead of adopted. There's this thing called an orphan spirit that most of us live with. I'm not connected. This isn't who I am. I don't know who I am and why I'm here. I don't know my purpose. At 18, none of us do. At 15, none of us do. At 45, none of us do unless we have that relationship with Christ and we call ourselves a child of God. Then my identity grows and I have more of a purpose in who I am. We call that a purpose-driven life through the blessing of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what age you have. The sooner that we can get these kids up here opening up their text and reading that Jesus is Lord and that we can live that out like Jeremy was challenging us, the better they will have an identity as they grow to be young adults. The more they come to church, the more the word is read, the more that it becomes part of our life. Here's the thing. It can also start with someone that's 40 or 50. God forbid 70. 87. When we accept Jesus and we build our identity in him through his word, our life is transformed. In Christ, we have freedom from sin, freedom from the law, and freedom from the doctrine of men. Men and theologians, men and women alike, we want to put laws upon the church. You've got to do certain things to make the church work. We need service. We need tithing. We need prayer warriors. We need setup. We need musicians. We need all these things. And we put laws to make those things function. And Christ is like, those are good, Jeff. But what we really need is a bunch of people identifying Christ as Lord. And out of that, the output will be ample money, will be ample servants, will be ample blessings because people's identity is locked in the glory of God. Does that make sense? The incarnation is God's perfect plan. It doesn't seem perfect because we're not God. It seems imperfect, but to God, it's beautiful. He looks at it and he's like, man, this world is a mess and I love it because my perfect plan is at work. And it comes through this word, the incarnation. Verse 4 to 6 is really our identity builder and gives me about 15 minutes to, to kind of share where our identity comes from. But when the right time comes, let's talk about that for a second. God's right time and my right time are way different. Sometimes they're 24 hours to 48 years too late. Right? But it's not my right time. I got all kinds of opinions and ideas and attitudes, and I'll share them with you, and I do quite a bit. But it says that God's right time is when he brought a Savior at his right time, not your right time. That's a tough one to swallow. That's a tough one to kind of gulp down and go, man, that hurts because I have ideas and thoughts of where my life should be. And God's like, yeah, so do I. Can you just get out of the way and just be that child of God? And let me lead you. The sooner we understand that, the sooner that my identity in God becomes whole and real and right and, and complete, the sooner I can experience him to the fullness. And that doesn't mean mansions and Lamborghinis and electric cars. What it means is a fullness, a relationship that no matter what I go through, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever struggle, whatever disease, that in Christ I can survive and I can thrive because my identity is him and deep in him. Does that make sense? Yeah. But when the right time came, God sent his son. 
born of a woman subject to the law. What does that mean? It just means that she was a faithful Jewish woman. She was a virgin, and she was part of the law of Judaism, but she was also part of the spiritual law of the world that we can't see that it's a part of our life. And then it says, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Before Christ, we were all slaves to the law, believer or non-believer, Jew or Gentile, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Adoption costs. There's a cost. This is now the fourth time I've talked about adoption and sonship in the last, I think, like 16 months. I was doing the math last night. Three times in 14 months, four or five to- fourth time today in 16 months. There's a reason God keeps bringing this back up is we need to understand there's a bunch of orphan spirits in this room. And they need to put their identity in Christ and watch God bring them into the fullness of his relationship, living living by the Holy Spirit and walking in the glory of God and finding complete wholeness in their day-to-day life with Jesus. It sounds really fun. I don't know if we're there yet. And that's why we're reaching this message again. He paid this price. Adoption's price is heavy. If you've tried to adopt, I I have a friend here. I don't see him here right now, but he adopted three kids, and the prices were $100,000. That's a lot of money. But Christ gave way more. He paid this price, which was way more. Yeah, he did. Verse 6, and because we are his children, God has sent his son Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. For us to have an identity in God, we need to realize that we need to do some reorganization in our heart, mind, and soul. Create some space and room that he can rest and dwell. Something we talked about a couple weeks ago. Room in our soul that he can dwell. Some of us have so much stuff we've been hoarding, we need to clear it out. And let space so that Christ can come and dwell, prompting us to call out this concept we call Abba Father. And I think that's really where we want to go today. What's the word Abba Father? What does that mean? Because I think if we understand that word, it will help us understand our identity and allow us to walk out of here with something tangible about our adoption. The word Abba is a a, a defining term for father. It's an Aramaic term, and it's this term that's like daddy. Now, think about the word daddy for a moment. Um, I, I got a couple of my uh, really good best friends, and they both have young sons, right? And when you see uh, one of the dads carrying their son, to me, it's this beautiful picture of daddy God. A, a child resting in their, in their father's arms. When you think of the word daddy, it's this term of endearment. I can't think of anything negative about the word daddy. Daddy's home. Run to daddy and you jump in his arms. And that's this word, Abba. It's this daddy God. Now, when I first heard daddy God, it's weird. I remember hearing the sermon. And then I remember being in a prayer circle with a group of people. I think my sister was uh, in Mexico. And all of a sudden, everybody's praying to daddy God. And I'm like, that's kind of cheesy. It seemed kind of lessening to God. But the truth of it is they understood something I didn't understand. That this term means something intimate with the father. Let me go a little bit further to make, hope that they make sense. Jesus uses this word, Abba, Father, and the Apostle Paul. Three times in the Bible, we see this kind of come together. And if Jesus and Paul are using this, this is something that all of us should understand and learn. 
And if we already learned it, then this is a refresher course about what Abba Father means. When we understand Abba Father, it changes our identity and it changes the way that we call God Father, our Father, or Abba Father. At one point, when Jesus was the most human he's ever shown himself, at the point of death in the garden, uh, he was getting ready there and he's receiving all this suffering and pain and he, he's telling the apostles to pray and he's getting ready to die. He has this human moment. And he says in this moment, Abba, Father, he cried out, Mark 14, 36. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Here in the most human point of God, Jesus on earth, he's God. But he uses this term of endearment, Abba, Father. Because he's got this intimate relationship. He's been in heaven. He knows what it's like. He can't wait to get back. And he can't wait to bring you there. But in this moment, he's like, Daddy, Daddy God, you know what's happening. I was there when you created this plan. I know the incarnation needs to happen. But in this moment of suffering, just remember me as we go through this process. Because I'm feeling human stuff right now. And that term of endearment transforms his human identity. And he says, you know what, God? Not me, you. It's not about me. The apostle Paul understands this and he writes it to the church, uh, to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, 15. He says, so you do not receive a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Once again, you're not going backwards into slavery. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. You're not going backwards, church, Jeff, Rodriguez. It's not backwards towards jail. We're going closer towards Christ. And then we see it in our text today. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of God, uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call Abba, Father. There's something here. I don't know everything about it. There's, as Jeremy would say, there's a, a swimming pool of ink. I think that's what he said last week. Written about this. And my challenge is, if you're not feeling fully vested in God and comfortable in your skin and truly sold out for Jesus Christ and call yourself a child of God and believe in the sonship covenant, dig into this Abba Father. There's something here. The inference here is when we call out to Daddy God or Abba Father, there's an intimacy here. Jesus had it. And we know Jesus would have it because he's been in heaven. But the Apostle Paul also has it. And it means something even more. Paul had this encounter that changed him, and Jesus was connected to God that tethered him. He knew what Christ was going to, he knew what God wanted, he knew what heaven was like, and he was tethered. And the Apostle Paul has this same type of feeling, the same type of experience. His encounter with Christ kept him tethered to God like Jesus did. That's why he constantly is telling us to be more Christ like. So why do we want Abba Father in our life? Why do we want this mindset? Why do we want this relationship? The Abba Father knows our strength and weaknesses, and his love goes beyond any human love that's on earth. And he can transform us right now 
by allowing ourselves more of him and less of you. Knowing God and accepting God, knowing Jesus and accepting Jesus frees us. And the spirit allows us to live in that freedom because we claim adoption. We accept that purchase offering of Jesus Christ. And we allow ourselves to be uh, part of God's eternal plan. I and he, he and me concept. One with God. This Abba Father conveys through the Apostle Paul and Jesus uh, this concept of reflecting that God knows us better than we know ourselves. When we reflect on this, God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows the beginning of our life. He knows the end of our life. He knows what we're going to do in, in, in the middle of our life. He knows we're going to wander and drift. But in that, he's like, please come to a solution. Remember that you are redeemed and loved and that you are a child of God. You've been adopted. And call yourself, as you walk out of here, a child of God. And live in what we call this Abba Father relationship with Christ. When you cry out, Abba, Father, in your prayers, or you hear it in a sermon, you realize that you have a relationship that's intimate with God. When I first heard this, it sounded creepy and weird, but the truth is, today I look at it, and it's this endearing term of, Father, I want to know you in an Abba, Father way. I want to experience that daddy's home mentality when I run to you in that time of, of, of struggle, in that time of less than, in that time of mourning or loss. I want to run to you in this Abba Father, perfect way of relationship. You know, Paul had a, what we call a burning bush experience with Christ. Most of us didn't have that. Jesus was God and man, so we know his relationship was different because he was in heaven. So how can we really live out this Abba Father if we don't have that burning bush experience? Well, the truth is we need to realize that we were built in his image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. Somewhere in our body and in our soul and inside our heart and inside our, our being, it's stamped made by God. Somewhere in our life, we are all made by God. We all have the, the, the same access to God. We are all his uh, masterpiece. And this incarnation creates relations with God so that you and I can have this Abba Father relationship. The, the beauty of God is you can be intimate or not with him. It's your choice. You can live a legalistic life and follow his word and only his word. And the spirit of God is the word of God. Or you can live in the spiritual blessings of God and let the words kind of flow out of you and live in this intimate relationship with God. When we live in an identity for Christ, our, our behaviors and our attitudes and our emotions change. When, when I'm in this world, my behaviors and attitudes and emotions and values are of this world. When I'm identified in Christ, my behaviors become Christ-like. My attitudes become uh, a, an attitude from a heavenly perspective. The Apostle Paul is constantly saying, raise your head up and look to the stars and look to the heavens and look to God. Because that's where our perspective should be and that's the attitude that we should have. When we're in that relationship with God and we're living in our identity, the, the emotions of God become part of who we are love mercy and compassion you know how many people i've met over 14 years of ministry going i'm not a compassionate person but i see them doing compassionate works all the time because they've had an identity in god and all of a sudden their compassion comes from god even though it's not their number one spiritual gift 
your past doesn't disqualify you. Paul's past didn't disqualify him, and my past didn't disqualify me. Don't let that hold you back from experiencing the love of Christ right now. Let's not wait another minute to live out this Abba Father lifestyle. This essence of John 17, 3, Mark Brown was talking about. To know God and to love God and to serve the eternal God. That's the essence of Christianity. Once we comprehend this fullness of God, this God lifestyle, adopted in Christ, I'm son of the most high God. I say that in my head constantly. I am son of the most high God. I'm stuck in traffic. I'm son of the most high God. Instead of cursing, I'm blessing. And once I believe that, once I know that, I have a new name, I have a new hope, and I have a new future. I'm called a child of God. I'm living for Christ, and I'm seeking my future, which is an eternal life with Christ beyond this life on earth. When we look in the mirror in the morning, we see change. But we don't see the change that God sees. We see maybe aging or weight, haircut, all the stuff that's outward. But God, when he looks in the mirror and he knows that you're a child of God, he sees his reflection in you. He sees you and says, that's my child and I see my son through and through. He sees you and he says, you're going to do great things because he can see his son in your life. When he looks at you, he wants to see his reflection. His son's reflection. He doesn't want to see anything outward. He wants to see this child of God and that child crying out, Abba, Father. Verse 7, and we'll close with this. It says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. When you are an heir, you get to use his resources and live out all of his promises. We just close your eyes and let's close out in prayer. We're going to invite the prayer team up also. If you need prayer during this time, we'd love to pray for you as well. Abba, Father, we cry out to you today. Lord, take that orphan spirit that is in this room and change their identity right now, maybe for the first time, as they cry out to you, Abba, Father. I pray today that whoever's lost and don't know who they are, they, they cry out to you, Lord, and you open up their heart for this revelation of your love and mercy and grace. If there's someone here that doesn't know you today, Father, but feels God calling them into that relationship, if that's you, you can re re repeat after me a prayer of salvation and invite Christ into your heart and start off with this Abba Father relationship. Goes like this, repeat after me, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. You died and you rose again for my eternal life. I thank you for that. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now and teach me how to live an Abba Father life with you now until I see you in eternity. We love you, Jesus. All God's people said, amen.